Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Edie Fox Abrams, who is the VP in Business Development at the ChemQuest Group. The ChemQuest Group is a business strategy firm that was established in 1976 with a focus and expertise specifically in the specialty chemicals market. Edie, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So tell me more about your background. Well... You reach a point in your career where you, where you actually have a fairly long legacy behind you and a point at which you're still looking forward. That's kind of where I am at the moment. My background is I was the second generation owner of a family manufacturing company in which we made various paints and coatings and cementitious materials that were used primarily in the concrete restoration and protective coatings industry. I learned the business after my father passed away. My brother at that point was had been working as a, as a chemist in the company, in the family business for quite some time. And all of a sudden, our dad died with short notice. And he looked at me, my brother looked at me and said, Edie, you need to come help me run this. So I stepped into that role, that's about 20 years ago, and helped to redefine and grow that business and ultimately sell it before meeting the ChemQuest group in the process. And now I've been with the ChemQuest group for about three and a half years. Wow. So walk me through sort of what you felt. I mean, you you had this sort of thrust upon you, you went in trying to run it. What was it like? What, what did it feel like when you first got there and you, you had the task of figuring this stuff out and, and what to do next? It was pretty daunting. My exposure to the, to the family business started when my father founded it when I was about four years old. And I, I recall every dinner, coming, he'd come home for dinner and my mom would ask him what had happened that day or where the company was going. And I would hear these materials mentioned, epoxy, grout concrete repair, fiberglass, like these terms that I just had no clue what they were growing up. We lived in, and the company was based in Baltimore, Maryland. And occasionally we would drive around our city and my father would point something out and look at a bridge and say, that's our paint on the bridge or that this road was patched with our materials. And so that was always kind of an interesting thing. I, I felt a lot of pride, but I really didn't understand the business. And I didn't have any clue how, how things were actually made. I would occasionally pop into the factory and I could see that it was kind of messy and dirty. <laughs> I knew that a lot of the employees had worked there for a long, long time. But again, I had no exposure to how my father was marketing or how he was doing his sales management or what his channels were. I, I was a bystander. I did go to college. I did have a career in another industry. What, what industry? Completely. <laughs> Nothing related to, to where I've ended up. I ended up going to work in the field of 
shopping centers. I did some, I worked in specialty marketing and specialty interior design of events or shopping malls. Mm. Do you want me to spell that out for you? What it means is the firm I worked for and the firm I eventually led as sales director manufactured and and created Christmas displays for shopping malls. Mm. That's good. So Baltimore-based organization, I was with them for about 11 years from the time I graduated college until after my second daughter was born, at which point I decided to take a left turn and pull back from working full-time. And literally three months later, my father passed away. And so my my retirement was very short-lived. And that takes us to the point where my brother said, come help me with this business. Yeah. So, so what, what were the first few steps that you had to take to establish yourself in the, the company and sort of move forward? What did you end up doing? I needed everybody to understand that I was no longer the, the child of the owner, but was in fact a business professional who had been successful in another industry and could bring skills that were valuable to our industry, although I did not have the chemical or technical background. So there were a lot of challenges when I first stepped into the company. The good news is, is that this was 1999 and this was literally the time of early stages of the internet, early stages of businesses like ours needing a website. And it, it, was, uh, it was just a perfect opportunity for me to take some of the skills that I had learned in this other completely separate industry and, and bring those to Fox Industries, which was the name of the company. So I asked my brother, Literally, <laughs> I asked my brother in the first week of work, or maybe even the first day, do we have a website? I, I see a web address. What, what's our website like? Mm-hmm. And he said to me, oh, I developed this website and our factory was located in a building that we owned and we had some other tenants in it. And he said, yeah, there's some, there's these guys in one of the offices downstairs and they're doing, they're doing web design. And so they said they'd help us create this website. And so, yeah, it's up and running. You can take a look at it. And I said, oh, I see. Well, there's a contact us page. <laughs> I said, do you, get a lot of, do you get a lot of inquiries? And he said, no, we don't get any. I've never gotten any, any. I've never gotten one. And I said, that's impossible. I just was snooping around enough and had been active in other industries at that point that were getting some web hits, et cetera. And I said, that's impossible. So sure enough, in a long story short, that day, <laughs> we unlocked the secret to the hidden vault of web inquiries that had come in to our website over the past three or four years since he'd started the, oh, no. uh, the website. <laughs> oh, no. So there's a, they're sitting in there, no one responding to him. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was horrified. So I proved my value really, really quickly. <laughs> and, and it did actually help that everybody started to take me a little bit, a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Just from asking that simple question of where are all the leads you're getting? <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you mentioned another challenge was the technical expertise. How, how'd you overcome that? I use the term osmosis, <laughs> which is, a, which is a true technical term, but literally I soaked it up. I was never going to be able to, to learn the true chemical background of, of how things reacted and why products did what they did. I mean, that was, that would have been a, a truly daunting task, but what I did have as my resource were a staff of people, as I mentioned, many of whom had worked in the business for its first 30 years. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were primarily gentlemen, but primarily gentlemen who really understood how our products worked 
and all the, the ins and outs of, of storing them correctly, of mixing them correctly, of applying them correctly, et cetera. So I had, I had technical people at my, at my disposal who could help me whenever I found myself in, in that type of situation. And then obviously the longer that I stayed and the more that I witnessed products being used, products being developed, speaking to customers who came to us with needs for new materials, the, the better versed I became. Perfect. Now, did you find yourself finding other opportunities and areas of improvement that you tackled? Within the company? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So we had a, we had a very unique and interesting story behind, behind the business. My father had been an Auschwitz survivor. So he had been basically taken from his home as a teenager, as a 14-year-old teenager in Hungary, which was towards the end of, end of World War II. He and his family were placed into a ghetto and then ultimately moved by train over one of those several days duration train rides that you read about and hear about and can't imagine. They, were, they arrived at the gates at Auschwitz. His mother and sister, for whom I named, her name was Edith, they were immediately taken to the left, I believe, where the women and children were then taken to the crematorium. Mm-hmm. And my father and his dad were put onto a labor team. So my dad learned how to mix concrete. He had always been interested in, been interested in construction, and he had never really been that interested in going to school. So mm-hmm. he used to tell fond stories of kind of hanging out and watching things being built in his small city where he lived. And he was a bright, able-bodied, fit young man when he arrived at Auschwitz and was immediately put onto a team in which he was mixing cement and it was being used for building new buildings still. He was not in Auschwitz all that long before he was taken to what was known as a specific, you know, they have some specific names, not as well known, but a slave labor camp. So he basically said, this is my education at this point, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm going to survive this, but whatever I'm learning here, I'm going to use this when I get out of the concentration camps. So it was never if, it was always when for him. Oh, and wow. I'm going to get into the construction trade. So his dad passed away relatively quickly, maybe eight weeks or so after they'd been there. And he was, he was just kind of left on his own and ultimately made it to the United States and, and ultimately pursued his dream of, of getting involved in supplying materials to the construction industry. Wow. That's some serious adversity. So it sounds like you've... Yeah, I realize I didn't fully answer that question. There were, with that background, my father was challenged. You could call it a post-traumatic stress disorder. He had a tremendous difficulty trusting people. Mm -hmm. And he, with the advent of computers, found it very hard to, to believe that information could be put into something and then regenerated and it wouldn't it would be safe while it was in in the computer etc so he, he had a lot of trust issues and it kept him from it kept him from growing the company into a larger organization because he wanted to be able to to literally have visibility into into all aspects of what the company did he also wanted to be as self-sustaining as an organization as it could be. So he not only did he manufacture products, but he developed a construction side to the business where we were applying all of our materials ourselves. So we weren't making them available to the to other construction firms. So yes, 
What did I change when I got there? We changed the business model entirely. This was a conversation my brother and I started and took us about a year or 18 months to implement, but a a truly radical change in in how our business was structured. Now, when you have that, I guess, application or construction side within the company, you can manage the quality very well. But when you take that outside, there's concerns about quality. Did you you find any issues transitioning from that everything in-house to partnering uh, model? Actually, we really... No, we did not have challenges from that regard. Yep. The, the beauty of our model was that many of the guys who had actually been using the materials and working on the, on the actual crews of oh. installing our products, they became my technical resource group. So they became my tech team. And oh. I moved them into in-house positions where they could be, they could be, they became our customer support line and as well as traveling for technical for technical support on job sites. So I'd say that the, the challenge of the challenge for us was really more in convincing our former competitors that we were now in a position of supplier uh. rather than being a competitor and then giving them access to to great knowledge that we had um, from our days as a contractor. That was really what proved to be a, a real differentiator and a real benefit for us. That makes a lot of sense. Now you said at some point you, you sold your business. What was the decision behind that? The decision behind that ultimately was based on, based on things we were seeing in the marketplace that were making it more and more difficult to be a smaller, independent manufacturer of chemical-based materials. And so I'm referring to changes in environmental regulations, mm-hmm. changes in shipping regulations, changes in some of the production and quality standards that were being requested. And honestly, we just had some disagreement internally about how to invest in moving forward to meet those new standards. And here I was, a woman who had been raised without, really without any family, because particularly on my dad's side, you know, everyone had been been killed in the war Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't worth it for me to further this this relationship with my brother in which we were really butting heads over how to, how to grow the business. So I said, let's sell it. Let's maintain our family. Our relationship was honestly, it was just more important to me. And with the writing on the wall, as I saw it, I knew it was going to be a big uphill battle for us to be able to to meet, meet the regulations and be able to maintain our profit level. And I don't like to think that I gave up. I like to think that I found the, I found the, the best possible outcome that, that hit a number of important qualifications. So maintaining my relationship with my brother, maximizing the return on investment for, for the business, obviously had a number in mind that I wanted to sell it for. And the last and really important thing on my list was to find jobs for all of our longtime employees to make sure that they would still be employed by the new organization that that took us over. Wow. I can see how how close everyone was in the organization. And that must have really been a big part of your success. So the interesting thing at the end of the day, after going through the process of selling the business or deciding on which of our suitors was the right company, the suitor brought in the ChemQuest group as a mm. consultant. Ah. And 
And I was exposed to the ChemQuest group during the due diligence process and then during the integration process of taking this very diverse family business into into the the ownership of a, of a big New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company. And ChemQuest was there as the buyer's advisor. And I was just so intrigued with the level of expertise that ChemQuest brought when their team arrived. And I said, mental note, <laughs> in, case, in case my career with the big company doesn't work out, this is a really interesting firm I'd like to get to know better. And ultimately, that's what happened. Yeah. Now, describe your transition into your role now. So I had a two-year contract. The name of the company that bought me is a, a very well-respected firm called Simpson Strong Tie. Mm-hmm. They are well-known for making engineered products that are used primarily in new construction. And they were interested in gaining ground in the infrastructure repair market, which was our specialty area. Mm-hmm. So... So they made a couple of acquisitions in close in close sequence to form a new division of their organization that at the time they called the RPS division, which stood for Repair, Protect, and Strengthen. Mm-hmm. I worked, they were based in California, Simpsons Home is in California. We were, as I mentioned, in Baltimore on the East Coast. So I was working at their home, I was, I was a home office employee, as they, as they ter- termed it. I was a California employee, but living in Baltimore, traveling back and forth quite a bit. I had two teenage daughters and a husband at home, and I'd been running a family business prior to that point. So it was, it was a big adjustment. I had a two-year contract to stay with them and help get this business unit off the ground. And there were just a lot of challenges in doing that. And relocating to California was just was just not really an option for, for me. I didn't think it was an option for my kids and my husband at that point. So lived out the contract. And at the end of it, we parted ways amicably. So it was a challenge. What I did at that point in time was I knew that I was going to be leaving. And I started thinking to myself, what's next? What do I want to do next? Mm-hmm. I was in my mid-40s. So I was relatively young, and made a list of 10 business people that I respected from not necessarily even just my own business dealings, but just 10 people I knew from whatever aspect of my life whom I respected in in terms of their business success Mm -hmm. and thought that I would reach out to each of them and look for guidance, look for advice, and see what I could come up with in terms of next steps. Not even really knowing what what I wanted to do how much I wanted to work, but just knowing that retirement was not going to really be something that I, that I liked. I just wasn't, I wasn't a really girly girl. I was mm-hmm. more interested in a, a non-traditional, I guess one could call a non-traditional role as a, a working mom. So I didn't get through even speaking to all 10 of the people on my list. I don't recall what number Dan Murad, the CEO of ChemQuest was, but mm-hmm. as soon as I reached out to him, he said, I think you have a lot to offer the industry that you've come out of. And I think that I think there could be ways for us to work together. And so that led to us conversing for a number of months before finally settling on this role within his organization. Describe ChemQuest to us. I know they're involved in lots of different things. Sure. So ChemQuest is what I call a boutique consulting firm. 
to the specialty chemicals industry. And by the term boutique, I mean simply that we are not as big as some of the very well-known consulting firms out there. We are roughly 100 people total. We concentrate on giving very personal and direct advice that comes from our personal years of experience working within the specialty chemicals value chain. So the model for ChemQuest is to is to bring mature professionals together and people who primarily have had degree a high degree of success in a technical field within the specialty chemicals industry and and who've chosen either to take retirement or they've sold their business or they've stepped away for some specific reason but they're but they've got lots of knowledge that they'd like to give back to the industry. So we supply consulting services in four different pillars of expertise. The first pillar is what we were founded on back in the 70s, which is kind of market research strategy pillar. We do a lot of firsthand investigation into understanding where the markets that our clients are doing their business in, where they're heading. So we are able to work towards forecasting and towards understanding technologies, where they're going, technologies that are running out of speed, that are being removed from industry. We're, we're able to take this type of knowledge and help, help our clients find a focus for growth through our market research and business strategy services. Another pillar that we work in is, is to work with clients on optimizing their commercial their commercialization and their operational techniques. So from that standpoint, we will help a client take a deep look internally at their own processes for manufacturing, for purchasing, for coming up with SKUs that they're using as to sell their materials and, and we'll help them try to um, strategize that side of their business, finding cost saving mechanisms that help them improve their EBITDA and streamline some of those practices. So it's kind of an auditing type of approach mm-hmm. to, to streamlining business practices. Another area that we get involved in is advisory services for merger and acquisition targets. So although we're not an investment bank, we're often hired either by a private equity firm or some other investment agglomerate who is looking to truly understand what's going on inside of a business. Oftentimes, I learned this certainly firsthand, particularly if you're the big company looking to buy a smaller company, you don't fully understand the technology. Owners may have a way of of categorizing information that might be different than the way a public company might do it. So we're we're able to to go in and, and really provide diligence services um, and advisory services on that M&A side of things. And then the, the last side of our business is the newest piece, and it's really what they brought me in to work on, which is our ChemQuest Technology Institute. And this is where ChemQuest expertise is used as an external technology resource for our clients. I need to take a breath at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you describe that last section? I mean, you start touching on it, but what does that mean? Yeah. 
So it's actually of the four pillars for me, this one is this one is the most fun and it it hits the closest to home, kind of to what I was doing in the days in which I was running our, our business. Basically, we are helping our clients understand their technology, understanding in certain cases, understanding how their material fits into a formulated product. In other cases, we are helping an asset owner determine the best way to protect their asset. And in other cases, we may be helping a formulator find the best materials to achieve the physical properties that they are trying to attain with a formulation that they've created or that they're working on. So we serve a lot of different purposes, but all geared around the ability to to create a formulated, primarily liquid-based, sometimes powder-based material that can be used either as a coating or an adhesive in a wide array of industries. Makes sense. So, I mean, you mentioned a lot of different areas. What sort of trends, for if, if you're not too deep into the coding industry, what sort of trends would you sort of pull out as things that you would mention to people that people should be aware about? Well, certainly there's been a lot going on in recent years towards protecting the environment and considering the environment in terms of the materials that are being used in these formulated products. So looking at VOC emission, which is volatile organic compound emission, what what kinds of nasties are being potentially emitted into, into the air through paint. We're trying to eliminate VOCs to lower them as, as much as possible. And the other aspect of that is to make as many high solid materials that simply don't use don't use these types of chemicals. So that's one area that's a big trend in terms of formulating coatings and adhesives. Other areas are eliminating the number of coats it takes to perform a service, to to coat something, to protect an asset. That's a lot based on the fact that our labor pool is diminishing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the ability to find qualified applicators, people who even are interested in being trained or, or learning how to work with their hands, no matter what the industry, whether it's furniture making, whether it's protecting bridges, whether it's doing flooring work, there's just a there's just a dearth of skilled labor out there. So how can products be formulated so that they can be applied more efficiently? That's a tremendous trend that we're working on. Those are just two that, you know, come off the top of my head. Absolutely. Anything that comes to mind in the sort of supply chain side, the materials? Sure. Well, working towards developing more bio-based materials is a, a huge trend. The challenges there are that Sometimes the bio base, whether it's an agricultural base material, it can be very hard to make sure that you're, that the raw material being created from the bio base is the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the same, the same as when you're looking at sand for, for cement quarries. You have different raw materials that come out of different parts of the country based on the geology of our vast North American topography. It's similar whether you're looking at at corn or soybean or any other tree-based material, there can be differences within them that, that need to somehow 
at some point be distilled into a very, I don't want to say regulated, but a very consistent product. Mm. The formulated paints and coatings and adhesives that would come out of this, they need to have a high degree of regular profiles, regular parameters, so that they can be used in the same way, whether you're buying a material that's made in June or whether it's made in July, we need the same batch. We need the batches to all be able to operate the same. So there's some challenges within the bio-based industry to to regulate and streamline those types of, of materials. Now you're handling lots of different, I guess, technical info and, and sort of keeping up with different trends and stuff. How do you sort of stay on top of that? I mean, are there sort of habits or routines that kind of keep you in, in line with all that stuff? Well, the good news is it's not me who has to be staying on top of all these trends by myself. As I mentioned, we're we about 100 people strong. And so we are constantly nose to the ground, keeping in tune with what's going on in the changing chemical industry. One thing that we do is we are working for a couple, the ChemQuest group works for a couple of trade associations that require us to interview and stay in touch with leaders in these various fields. And so we're performing interviews on an ongoing basis. We are reaching into the community of raw material suppliers, of formulators, manufacturers, and of these end users, whether it's a company that's making agricultural equipment and therefore relies on paints for their process, or whether it's an oil and gas company who is using epoxies and acrylics and other materials to protect their assets. Oh. So we're, we're speaking to all of these different people all of the time. It is really what makes ChemQuest most unique and helps us, helps us understand and distill the information that's needed for, for bringing together the varying practices that fulfill the needs of all of these different organizations. That makes- so we work for the American Coding Association. Yes. We work for the Adhesive and Sealants Council. Those are two of the biggest organizations in, the, in North America. Um, we, we work with some of their global counterparts in other parts of the world and help to provide really important information back to the industry. Very good. Makes a lot of sense. Now, is there something that I haven't asked you, but should have? So I think that when you're basically saying, well, why would somebody need to come to the ChemQuest Technology Institute? Mm-hmm. Sounds like the companies that I'm talking about are big companies. So why would they need to come to a small organization like ChemQuest to get this type of knowledge? Yeah, I'd say that the interesting part there is that there's so many layers within some of the big organizations that it's harder for them to, to cut through those layers to get the information that, that's really going to help them with their business. By being able to turn to a business like ChemQuest, where we are engaged deeply in so many different aspects of these industries, they're able to kind of one-stop shop and get a lot of information out of speaking to a small team of people. I think that's something that's tremendous value back to those bigger clients. We have access through the entire value chain. So often if you're sitting at one end of the value chain, you just don't really understand what's happening at the other end. (laughs) And so we help to shorten that distance between those layers of information. I'm working with a client right now who has the potential to supply product through various channels to reach an end 
use material. And they just don't understand what they don't understand that chain. They don't understand what it looks like and they don't understand the mindset of some of their end users. And so we're, we're able to help them see that through a, a much clearer lens, which inevitably will help them provide a better product to those clients. I do need to add that basically all of our work is done under strict confidence. So it's always the most challenging question that someone asks me is, well, who do you work for? Who are your clients? <laughs> Rarely can I provide references. <laughs> our greatest reference is the fact that we're, that we're still doing this, <laughs> that we've been doing this for over 40 years, that our business has grown, and that some of the major the trade associations and publications are turning to us for our expertise. So you're saying that the cubicles are secured. The cubicles are secured. We like to say this sounds kind of corny, but but confidentiality is our currency. Yeah. That's that's really what we trade on. It's confidentiality, not I can hear about a product that's being developed to do the same thing. I can hear about it from three different companies that are all trying to do it to reach the same end goal and I close my mind to what each one is doing and offer each one advice within their realm of, of business. I don't know which one is ultimately, I may, I may have an idea which one I think will ultimately be <laughs> successful, um, but no, no one is going to benefit from the other. It's an interesting model because from uh, marketing world or advertising, competing brands in the same agency, it always turns into an issue, but you've kind of sort of seems like you guys have found a way to sort of balance that out and, and sort of maintain the trust because it is kind of a small industry, right? In terms of the sheer number of people that you deal with. We are also, our teams are small always. We don't, it's not like a hundred people are working on a, on the same project all the time. So we silo our information. We keep everything very, very specific to a project and we won't have the same consultants working on one project that, and we won't, directly, you know, we won't work with direct competition. So just because there might be three different ways to skin a cat, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, that's fine. They all can have a place in the world of end use materials, but each one might be different in how they go about doing it. And the team that advise them are made of the experts that come with a different and specific set of knowledge that's going to be helpful with that specific customer. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing so much great information. I mean, you have such sort of rich background and you've conquered a lot of adversity. So uh, Ed, thank you so much for being on our show. My pleasure. Thank you. A lot of fun. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify. And I also want to thank the listeners specifically that are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>